Welcome to Cashflow Assets Podcast, where we share the stories, tips, and techniques to get you out of the rat race and into cash flow abundance. Here's your host, Robert Slattery. Welcome to the Cashflow Assets Podcast. I am your host, Robert Slattery, and I am here with the amazing Bill Schwass. And Bill, where where are you here from? Boy, it's it's a long journey. In Illinois originally. <laughs> 20 years plus in California and Southern California, back to Northern California. So out of California now. People's Republic of California. <laughs> yeah, it's more and more. Something like that. Bill, we're, we're going to talk about you and me and how we met and all that. Our goal for this podcast is we want folks to hear that real people are able to build passive income using different cash flow assets. My my bailiwick is real estate, and so I show people how to do that. And and you and I met a while back. Tell the world how we met. We were involved in a coaching situation with a with a great coach and as a result struck up a relationship and an opportunity to uh further my directions. Yeah, uh we we met online and We've kind of kept in touch. I think we've known each other about a year now, a little, maybe yeah, a little bit that. over. About yeah. That. yeah. And so first, the big question I ask everybody, are you rich? Not financially. Not financially. Beautiful kids and a wonderful wife. So in that sense, I'm rich, but it's not in the bank account. Okay. Excellent. So you would not categorize yourself as rich? <laughs> no. Bill, how old are you? I am 71. I'll be 72 in March. 71, 72. Okay. That's important because as we talk about this, a lot of folks think if they're 40, they're too old. If they're 50, they're too old. If they're 60, they're too old. And I'll tell you, you're never too old. You're never okay. too old to get started. Tell us about your career. What, what, what brought you to where you're at now? I spent 20 years doing loans and real estate in California and uh, then hit some bumps. The market disappeared. People would say, so you don't have a job? I'd say, yeah, I have a job. I just don't have any business. And uh, out of that, I wound up in my 60s taking a job as director of sales for a company. And so I've been in the Bay Area, East Bay Area, San Francisco for the last eight years uh, doing that. You enjoy what you do? Yes and no. I, I enjoy a lot of what I do. I don't enjoy so much that it's done on someone else's outline. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. You have previously owned real estate. Tell me about that. Wow. Uh, when I lived down in Santa Barbara, I, as I mentioned just a while ago to you before we started, that I, I had a duplex, I had a fourplex, I had a four-bedroom house in the Santa Barbara area, which now probably would be worth, I'm going to guess, two, two and a half million dollars. And I had a wife. And I have a different wife now. And I don't own those properties any longer either. Okay. When you owned those properties, did they make good money? Absolutely. I had a fourplex that from the time I bought it, and this was back in the 70s, I had $200 positive cash flow on a monthly basis. And I got into it because of a friend of mine who was a realtor, somewhat like you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know if the world can handle more than one of me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So that was in the 70s. Yeah. And when did the properties go away? When I got divorced in the mid-70s, late-70s. Mid-70s? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this. Why didn't you 
Why didn't you buy again in the 80s or the 90s? Well, I bought when Jeannie, my current wife, and I got married. We bought while we were on our honeymoon, in fact. We closed escrow on a condo, and our interest rate on the place was 13%. So that gives you an idea of when it was, if you know how the market was back then. I lost my job six months later. I lost my house about six months after that. Brutal. Yeah. So that, that made Jeannie very skittish about real estate. I knew from what I'd already done that, that it wasn't a bad place to go. But I found my wife really hesitant to get involved. And so she wasn't interested in buying into property. And it took a long time to move out of that. That is completely legitimate. Absolutely. When I met my wife, and you may or may not know this about me, when I met my wife, I was making comfortable six figures a year in real estate sales, and I owned 10 properties. And then in late 2007, the financial markets started to melt down. We got married in 2008, spring mm. of 2008. And over the next four years, our first four years of our marriage, we lost three and a half million dollars worth of real estate. And that was, that was a lot of not fun. <laughs> So, so when I hear your story, it sounds a lot like mine. <laughs> On a smaller scale. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, I, I empathize with you. They say, they say there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. I, I understand because I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, it's a testament to our wives that they stuck Absolutely. with us. Absolutely. No, and having met Pamela and, and you having met Jeannie could probably agree with me. They're pretty awesome women. I, I've decided that, that mine's a keeper for sure, and, and she's stuck with me, so that's, uh, that's a step in the right direction. Well, today is 40 years for Jeannie and I. So 40 uh, years. We're recording this on Bill's anniversary. <laughs> 40 years married. Congratulations, Bill. Yeah, thank you so much. That's fantastic. Well, we are currently sitting in my studio in Fort Worth, Texas. Why are you here? Because you said I could come. And <laughs> no, I came to, uh, I came to the area because we were buying a rental in Arlington that actually just closed miraculously last Friday. Just Two days, days ago. ago. Yep, yeah. Three days yeah. ago. Yeah. So when we started talking, you knew that I was, I was involved in real estate. Mm -hmm. This opportunity came up. We had a client <laughs> who was looking for a property to buy here in South Texas or North Texas. Texas, excuse me, Arlington area, which is right by the Cowboys Stadium. And she was transferring jobs and was not able to qualify for the financing to obtain the, the loan. And so I had, I had worked with this gal and I, I, we'd, we'd figured out the right property, but we needed someone to come in and buy the house and hold it for a short term. This is not my core business. It's, it's a derivative of my business, something that we call lease options. And Texas doesn't like lease options, so we had to get a little creative on that. But I had a deal that made sense. And what was your final purchase price on that house, Bill? We closed at uh, $228,000 for a three-bedroom, two-bath house. $228,000. Now, most of my business is focused around cash flow. And this is more of an equity play on this property that... I use as, uh, as, as kind of your first taste, your first morsel, get you hooked on what I can do for you. And so 228000 our goal is to sell this house to your tenant now, to the eventual right. buyer. Right. Uh, she's going to ultimately buy around 
275,000 is, is, is number. Okay. So I'm not real good at math, but uh, 275,000 less 228,000 is, is a pretty healthy number. Better than 25 cents. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So if we're looking at that, at that what, 48,000, 40, 47,000 in potential gain in less than two years, how much money did you put down on that house? By the time we closed, uh, closing costs and everything, it was it was uh, fifty seven thousand down, but uh, it was about sixty four to sixty five thousand, right in between sixty four and a half thousand total um, to to get in, get it closed. Okay, so your total closing costs were sixty five thousand. Now I like to illustrate this because for those people who are listening to you and they're like, well, okay, what does that mean? What does all this mean? Let's say that Bill sells the house. We're, we're looking at $275,000 sale price. Now, that will include a new roof for the, Correct, uh, right. for the buyer and all that. So, less than two twenty-eight. dollars was our $47,000. And then we're probably looking at, what, $10,000, $15,000 in, in capital probably improvements about 15, on the house. Yeah. So, I'm going to take yeah. those out. So, another $15,000 out there. That leaves $32,000 in profit. Now, if we divide that into the $65,000, you put down that is a forty nine point two three percent return on investment in one to two years. Right. Yep. But what you left out of that is that my monthly payment is going to be right at twelve fifty, and my rent is going to be right at eighteen hundred. Now you skipped ahead, Bill. I, well, I just <laughs> I'm thinking bottom line includes that. But but I'll let you. Yeah, no, I, sorry, <laughs> sorry for sneaking that in. No, it's perfect, man. I love it. I love it. Like I said, these conversations are very organic. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is, if you start out with the premise of telling somebody, "Well, I'm projected to make fifty percent return on investment," and they say, "No way," yeah, and then you say, yeah. "Oh, well, that's only looking at my equity yeah. growth." <laughs> that's now let's everything. look at my cash flow. Yeah. Okay, so you just said that your your total monthly payment is going to be what? Uh, twelve forty nine and change. Call it twelve fifty. Does that include taxes and insurance? That is taxes and insurance. Twelve fifty. Now, when we're talking payments, folks, if you've ever owned a house, then you know this, and and if you haven't, then that's fine because you might not. But when we talk payments, we talk about P I T I, which is the principal, the interest. The P and I is principal and interest on an amortized loan, and then we've got taxes and insurance. So P I T I and his full. The, the taxes are going to be your property taxes, the insurance or your your property, your, your homeowner's insurance, your landlord policy. And and with those four combined, that's your total housing payment. So $1,250. And we have pre-negotiated rent at $1,800. So $1,800 less $1,250 leaves $550 a month in positive cash flow. That's $6,600 a year. In positive cash flow. Now, if we divide that into your sixty-five thousand, that's another ten percent per year. Per year, return. Yeah, it's interesting because when I was talking with some friends of mine, and I, and I told some people that I was looking at property in Texas, and did all the numbers and worked it out, and I cranked it and said, "Okay, so I've got almost a ten percent return," and and I know you're going to get into this later, but. That's just the cash on the cash. In other words, the cash that I get in against the cash that I put out in it. There's just not very many places that you can get a 5% return. 
Is it safe for me to say that that ten percent cash on cash was your your primary buying motive that 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 inspired you to want to do this? My wife isn't in here, so I can say it. No, actually, my reason was to show my wife that Texas is not a bad place to be looking at because <laughs> I've been ready to move down here for about four years, and but I'm I'm not going to move by myself. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> but I that was people, a good motivator, I will tell you. No, I tell people I didn't get married to sleep alone, so uh, <laughs> I have to be real careful about my business decisions anymore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you this. Usually, when we start out these conversations, I like to focus on the cash flow first and foremost. Mm. Now, we just illustrated that you're looking at five hundred fifty dollars a month in positive cash flow. Right. You can't live on five hundred and fifty dollars a no. month, right? Mm. But by showing Jeannie. And showing yourself that that this is safe and it's going to be consistent. You don't have to go in and make the house the Taj Mahal. We right. don't flip properties. We're not looking at doing a flip here. In fact, selling the house to your tenant is only one of your potential exit strategies. Exactly. exactly. If, if it doesn't work out, we did a market rent analysis. We know that we, we've got some upward potential on Absolutely. rents in the area. Mm-hmm. So... You have you have many ways to sustain that, and even if a market correction comes, which is likely, you're going to be okay. But let me ask you this: You are getting to an age where you are starting to think about retirement. Is I that, know. Is that correct? <laughs> I have, people keep asking me when are you going to retire, and I and I say, why would I want to retire? I enjoy working and doing things, and so yeah, I don't expect that I will uh, be building fences the rest of my life. But even exactly what we're doing right now, I see as not retiring. Right. I I see continuing to build and continuing to grow and expand. But that and that's me. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys my age or near my age who have a very different opinion. Tim Ferriss wrote a great book called The Four Hour Workweek. Have you read it? I have not. I I do want to get that. It's a great book. I'll, I'll get you a copy. In the book, he advocates the mini retirements model which is where you build a life, but you have to do your work, right? And this, mm-hmm. is, this is biblical, okay? I'm, I'm not going to go into the Bible-thumping side of things, but, but we're called to do our daily work, right. right? You can't just sit around playing Xbox and playing golf all day. It, it's, you, you will wither away to nothing. But at the same time, you're not supposed to work yourself to the nub either. Right. right. And so what you're talking about right now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think points to you want to put in enough work to maintain your lifestyle right. and to feel like you're doing your daily work, but you don't want to feel like work. And so in Tim Ferriss's book, I, I really like it. He's got a blog. He's got all, I mean, the guy's rich. He's got everything. But he talks about how he built his business to where he only has to put in four hours of work mm-hmm. a week to maintain it. Now, sometimes he works more than that. That doesn't mean that you only have to show up to the office four hours a week. But when when he compiles all of his work into a schedule, it's about four hours a week worth of work. And and then the rest of the time is his. Exactly. Exactly. Which is what this is all about, is taking control of your time. So let me ask you this, Bill. Right now, are you living the lifestyle you want to live? Not quite. And by not quite, I mean, I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but it isn't where I want to be. Where do you want to be? I want to be at the point where I determine what time should I get up in the morning? What time should I go to bed at night? Do I want to stay up or do I want to go to bed? Do I want to go watch a ball game? Do I want to go play? What do I want to do? 
and that determines what I do rather than as it is currently as director of sales for the company I'm at. I, my boss calls and says, hey, listen, would you look into this? Would you do this? Would you handle this? I get to, you know, the good news when, without COVID or pre-COVID was I got to fly back and forth from San Diego up to Vancouver, BC. But it was when she said to go. And that's not the life that I want. Okay. How much money do you need to make each month to free up your time to where you can live the life that you want to live, where you can have the time over your sleep schedule and your travel schedule that you're looking for? What would, if you were to put a number on it, how much money are you looking to make each month to live the life you want to live? Probably somewhere eight to $10,000. And, and that, understand, I started taking Social Security a while ago, and so I get about $3,500 a month from that. So it's not eight to $10,000 more. It's probably more like three to $5,000, $8,000 would be enough. Okay. But yeah, I'm going to say probably four or 5000 more. In my overly simplified world, this is where if we were on video, I'd, I'd pull out my Monopoly set. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you may have noticed I've got, yeah, I've got Monopoly sets all yeah, around in the house yeah. here. And the reason why is I like to point to the fact that the answer that folks are looking for of how do I achieve financial freedom, financial security, they learned in kindergarten and they learned how to play Monopoly. Now, most people cheated and they added their own house <laughs> rules to it. But... But the basic premise is this. I, I use little Monopoly houses to illustrate what we do. And I'll, I'll hold up a house and I'll say, okay, let's, let's say that this little Monopoly house is worth $1,000 a month to the First National Bank of Bill, or mm -hmm. Bill and Jeannie. How many of these little Monopoly houses do we need to have right. to, to get to your goal? Mm -hmm. And you told me eight to 10000 a month, so that means we need eight or 10 of these little houses. And then... I get to play some mathematics games. Remember Donald in Mathmagic Land way back in the day? I get to I get to play some of that stuff too. And and what I do is I actually show you that if if we use that one little house, we set it down, we start putting eight to ten of these little houses out. I say, there we go. We've we've got our goal. You've got you've got your your eight to ten little rental houses out there. And you kind of scratch your head and you're like, well, I just went through the brain damage of getting this one. Do I want to do that eight or 10 more times? And I say, well, actually, if we do that, we've got a management and a maintenance nightmare. Plus, we've got an acquisition headache. And the acquisition headache is this. As a lender, previous lender, right. how many loans do banks kind of limit yet? Usually it's like four or five. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's about four. You can go up to ten if you jump through some hoops. Exactly. But four conventional loans, and most people live in a house already, and so there's one. So now you got three available, and so the now now I've got ten of these little houses sitting out here in our in our analogy. I'll pick one up and I'll say the biggest problem is this one because it's the one you start with. And we can use your Arlington house as an example here, the one that you just closed on. Right. If that house, which is your only rental house, is vacant, how much vacancy do you have in your portfolio? I have 100. That <laughs> sounds like 1,000, though. 100% vacancy. Yeah, yeah. And the problem with 100% vacancy is even though we went back and we, we established that your monthly payment was $1,250, that means that's $1,250 that you have to pay for. Which takes a lot of the fun out of investing in real estate. And, and takes a lot of the food out of the cab cupboards. Right. 
So, so then what I'll do is I'll take two of those little monopoly houses and I'll say, instead of houses, let's call these units and I'll put two of them together. Mm. And now we've got a little duplex. Right. And, and if, if one of those units in the duplex is empty, well, we've just lowered your vacancy to 50%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And now your other tenant is at least covering the majority of that monthly payment. Mm -hmm. Now we take three of those little units, three of those little houses, and we put them together. Now we have a triplex. And a triplex, if one unit's empty, well, your other two units are usually covering all the debt service on the property for you. And then we take the last four of our 10 that we've got out here, and we, we put those together. Now we've got a fourplex. And if one of those units in a fourplex is empty, well, then we only have 25% vacancy. And the other three units are not only paying the debt service, but you're making profit again. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and profit is a novel concept because the more profit you make, the more fun this is. Yeah. So what we teach is, is if, you, uh, if you start looking at your goals as if you want to make 10000 a month, and we figured out that we can minimize our vacancy risk, then we start looking at property values. Right. And property values for a single family home that you might buy, uh, probably 250 to 500, somewhere in there. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, in this, in, depending in on the market, right? right? Right. Yeah. Two and a half to $5 million sure. in your neck of the woods out in California, right? Your average home is like 800,000. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so in this market that we're looking in, 250 to 500 mm -hmm. for, for a decent single family home, a decent duplex. It's going to be about two fifty to five hundred. A decent triplex, about two fifty to five hundred. A decent fourplex, about two fifty to five hundred. Now the cool thing is, and as you, Mister Lender, will point out, uh, you can use the exact same loan, the exact same conventional loan, up to four units to buy a one to four unit right. property, right? So back to the initial model of let's say that one little house was worth a thousand dollars a month to the first national bank and bill you went through the brain damage to get approved for a loan would you rather have uh, a loan on a property that's bringing a thousand dollars a month or a property that's bringing in four thousand dollars a month yeah especially if i'm not having to pay it or worried about having it become vacant as much right so that's what we we focus on and then using the arlington house as an example the arlington house isn't bringing in a thousand dollars a month it's bringing in $1,800 a month, right? And this is where we're able to tailor this model to your situation. Bill and Jeannie want to make eight to 10000 a month. Well, just what we just illustrated, you see how you can put that together for yourself and probably do that in the next year or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I, uh, I don't know if you remember that I, I mentioned briefly that I'd been looking at some units in the area, uh, one guy who had 529,000, and I, I'm thinking it was a fourplex, but down at the end of the, the little listing in, in the uh, real estate stuff was the same owner owns three of these, and all three of them are for sale. All three of them are 529, and again, having been around the business, he's likely to be able to sell all three of them at a little bit of a discount because he can make it happen easier and gives him his cash sooner, which makes it cheaper to buy. And I thought about those and went, okay, so if we were at a place right now where we could get those three, even though they are in need of some repair, they're cash flowing 
right now. But Bill, I, I'm reading the headlines and they're saying that all the real estate deals are gone. Are you telling me <laughs> that there are actual opportunities out there to make money still? Robert, as, as we went by to look at the place that we just bought as a rental, not a half a block down the street on the other side was a house that looks like it could use some work. And I have no clue, but I want to follow up and find out. Are they interested in selling? We just bought down the street. We could buy for the same price. Because as the neighborhood improves, the prices go up. Amazing how that works. Yeah. And so I'm looking at that thinking, okay, so this, this makes sense to look at and say, can we get another one there? Yep. Yep. And, and we don't typically advise single family homes no. as long-term rentals. And the reason why is because they have the same floor plan or footprint as a duplex, a triplex or a fourplex. And so now you're paying for four roofs, you're paying for four sets of windows and, and your, your costs just go up significantly. But what we do like using single family homes for is equity. If you started out, how much money did you have when, when we first talked about you buying this house? You called me up and, and you said, hey, Robert, I think I want to do this deal. What did you have cash on hand? Cash? I think I had 20000 in the bank and, and 20000 in this account and a retirement account that had some cash in it. But I had some equity in my property. And so I went to the bank and said, what can I do? And they would give me an equity line. Of $175,000. Okay. And, and we don't typically advise folks to use their primary as, as a line of credit for investment. However, if folks are planning on moving or relocating at some point and it is not their forever home, then I'm, I'm pretty flexible because I, I want folks to build this model and then use it to break out of the rat race. And so you had the, the line of credit, 175, and then you used 65,000 of that mm-hmm. right. to buy your first asset that is making $550 a month. Right. Right. Or $6,000 a year, right. right? A little over. And, and so all this starts to make sense here real quick, right? Yeah. Because it's scalable. Now, if you turn exactly that, right. if you turn that sixty-five thousand in borrowed money into, let's just call it thirty-five thousand in real money in net profit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Obviously, there's some taxes attached right. to it there, but then you can compound this. And what do I say about compound interest? It's the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. So you could compound the entire process, and just like you illustrated, you've got three fourplexes you're looking at potentially acquiring now, and putting together that portfolio would bring in enough money on the gross to meet your goal. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Right? Yeah. That, each of those currently has over $1,000, which means if, if we were able to leverage into those, and there's, I, I know you know that sometimes guys who are selling three of those don't really need the cash. So they'll go, well, yeah, if you'll give me five or 8% on the money, I'll, I'll be the bank. Yeah, and, and, and creative financing exactly. is, is sometimes an option there. Yeah, for sure. The fun thing about this is I've actually got a tool here that I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this into. But you said that those those properties are how much five seven five twenty nine five twenty nine a piece. That's the asking price, right? And they've been on the market a little while, so 
that may be a softer price. That's a million five eighty seven. And if we were looking at what twenty five percent down, probably yeah. Okay, right, so that's right, four hundred thousand right. down. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going to assume about fifteen thousand closing costs. That's five thousand per unit. Four and a half percent thirty year fixed debt, and then annual taxes on those properties one percent. Probably a little more just because it's taxes. But, okay, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put in 20000 for combined taxes on that. And then insurance, we'll put 5000 for all the buildings because we're looking at uh, multifamily rates. You'd manage these yourself, right? You're an expert. What would you estimate <laughs> vacancy rate at? You know, I would say in this area that I, I, I would guess it would be maybe 10%. 10%? Okay. I, I think that's a little high, but that's fine. Let's see. We run our property management as a business, and so we want to see a 5% annual increase in rents. Are you okay with that number? Yeah. Many yeah, markets will support higher than that, yeah, obviously, but you know, 5%. So if, if we build a model where you acquire X number of properties, the one thing that I do that most real estate folks will never tell you to do is I tell you to stop buying. And there's a reason for that. Because... A lot of folks don't know when to say when, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they keep they keep acquiring properties. And what happens is market corrections come, and they're over leveraged, and then they find themselves right, right. in trouble. And so, what I've got here in my little tool here, and I don't need to illustrate this for the for the podcast, but but what we're doing is we're just going to make minimum payments on everything while we're acquiring a mm-hmm. portfolio, and then, and then accelerate. when we've hit our goal, we're going to let our tenants use all that positive cash flow. And we're taking out some money for for maintenance. We're taking out some money for vacancy. But we're going to take all the extra cash flow left over. And in this scenario, just the the basic numbers that we're looking at were, how much did you say the rents were in each unit? I don't remember what the rents were, but what stuck in my mind was that it was about $1,000 per complex positive cash flow. Okay. I'm going to play with the numbers here. Ooh, you're going to like. All right. So we're looking at taking out for vacancy. I'm looking at 2600 a month in positive cash flow. I'm taking out the 10% sure, for vacancy sure. and, and all that. Okay. So assuming that you've built the portfolio, you've acquired these three properties, and you never add another dime to it, mm-hmm. but we're going to use the positive cash flow to accelerate the payoff on the loans. Yeah. How long do you think it takes you to have a free and clear portfolio? Oh, gosh. Eight years? And I don't know. If you don't ever add another dime to it, it takes you 10 and a half years. And at the end of 10 and a half years, because rents go up with inflation, you are now looking at a $17,000 a month passive cash. income. Cash. Yeah. Positive cash flow. Yeah. Okay. Could you live on $17,000 a month? No, I'd have to sell some of it. <laughs> <laughs> so does that, does that kind of illustrate how this could work? Yeah. Well, and that was, that was why I mentioned, you know, immediately when I saw those, it was like, I can't, I'm not right there yet, but I know this is not a unique occurrence. This happens weekly, maybe daily, certainly monthly in areas. I mean, I've been looking before I bought here. I looked in the Nashville area. I looked in in Illinois, which my brother still lives in Illinois. I looked in California, different places. And, And there are properties all over. That are like this, but I know a number of people in this area. So it was like, okay, this is a comfortable area to look at, and I'm thinking I may want to move here. So 
I, I'm unconcerned about the potential of saying, well, this is going to need a little bit of work, but I've already lined up some specific people, roofers and so forth, to do things. So it's like, okay, all I got to do is get the cash together to make the first to leverage into the second, to get to the third, to get to the point where not too long from now, I can go ahead and pick up those three units and say, okay, honey, what do you want to do? Because we don't have anything we have to do. And, and here we are on Monday. You did buy your first yep. asset yep. three days ago, two days mm -hmm, ago. Mm -hmm. And now you're on the way. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, we have some other levers that we can pull because if you're moving here, you could buy the first unit owner occupied, which means 5% down instead of 20. Could help. Right. I'm not, I'm not real good at math, but 5% of 500,000 is about 25 grand, right? <laughs> yeah, it won't take much. And, and so we've got an option there. Yeah. And if the seller is agreeable and or interested in spreading out their capital gains, mm -hmm. maybe you work out a deal with your wife where you're going to buy one of these a year and then let your tenants pay the whole thing off. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's several ways to slice and dice this and make it happen. And because of the fact that you are closer to retirement than most, there are also ways that we can accelerate the payoff on these and get mm -hmm. them knocked out in right, three to right. five years instead of 10 to 12, right? Right, right? These are all just very round numbers that we're, we're looking at. One of the things, too, that, that crosses my mind is, and, and I looked into it because I have a friend who does property management in my area, and, and he said, do you realize that rent of your house would be $3,500 right now if you, if you wanted to rent it out? And I thought, oh, okay. So suddenly, a $175,000 equity line would be against a rental property that's giving me about $1,500 positive cash flow. And we can move. And if we want, we can buy a place right away or we could wait until we find the place that we want when we move. We can rent for a short while. But it suddenly means, okay, so I have my second rental already, plus I've now got over $2,000 positive cash flow, and I've got an equity line that's got over $100,000 that I can go play and say, I want to put $100,000 down on this uh, fourplex. I can't buy all three of them. I just want to buy the one and give me $1,000 positive cash flow on top of, on top of, on top of. And suddenly I'm, I'm at like 3,500, 4,000, almost halfway to where I want to be. Bill, so, I mean, what, theoretically in six months, I could be halfway there. What would you tell somebody who is trying to decide if this might be a path for them to look down? I mean, again, I look back to when I was, I started when I was 24. It was when I got my first duplex in Santa Barbara. And and people looked at me and said, why do you want to buy a house? You're only 24. And I went, yeah, well, because I want to start making money. And, and I did. I doubled my money on the duplex. I, I more than doubled my money on the fourplex. And in six months, I doubled my money on the four-bedroom house. I guess what I would say is don't wait till you're 71. And if you're already 71, it's not too late. Get started. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it. My wife was looking at the numbers and it's like, really? We're going to get that positive cash flow like, yeah, starting this month, starting yep. this month. Yep. Bill, I really appreciate you coming on the show with me and sharing your story. If this sounds interesting to you out there in, in listener land, 
come to our next free webinar. We, we talk about this and how you can do this for yourself. Just go to cashflowassets.com and you can register for the free webinar there and learn more about how we do what we do. I've got a seven-week course that we call the Blackwell Workshop where I show everyone how to custom tailor their own plan to achieve the income and the lifestyle that they want to live. That's when Jeannie got excited was when we were going through that course and, and she goes, can we really do this? And so we sat down and I did the numbers for her that you had already done. But of course, she didn't know you. She knew me. And we got <laughs> done doing the numbers. It was like, okay. And that's why she was willing to say, okay, let's, let's look seriously at this. And here you are on your 40th anniversary, <laughs> two days after buying an asset that's going to start making you, what we figure out here, about 60%. Return on investment, or, or yeah, depending on depending on if we wind up selling it or or if it, or keeping if it. it's a longer longer hold. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for coming on to Cash Flow Assets, you, the podcast. I am Robert Slattery. I'm Bill Schwaz, and we appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cash Flow Assets with Robert Slattery. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. To register for a free Cashflow Assets webinar, go to cashflowassets.com. Go check out the additional assets and resources that we have for you at blackwellworkshop.com.